We're going to continue our series that we began a few weeks ago called After I Believe. And, uh, you know, this warm weather has kind of got me thinking about vacation. Uh, we're kind of thinking about it. Our son wants us to meet him in Thailand, which would be a big, uh, a big step for this Kentucky boy. Uh, but, but I was thinking about, about our past vacations. One time we had a great vacation. We went up uh, to Rhode Island. Uh, Lori always wanted to go up into the Northeast. And so we went up and spent, uh, we camped on the, the side of an old army fort on Conicut Island there in, in Rhode Island. And it was beautiful and a great vacation. But on the way up, we said, why don't we, uh, why don't we stop and look at some national landmarks? And so uh, we spent a, a day in New York City at the Statue of Liberty, which I'd never seen personally. And then we spent a day in Washington, D.C., which uh, I had not been to before as well. And, and either, either of those places, we could have spent a week. You know that, right? Uh, but, it, but in Washington, D.C., we went and we saw all the major monuments kind of on the run a little bit, carrying the kids, dragging the kids uh, to get through that. Uh, but we, uh, we also went to Arlington National Cemetery. How many people have been to Arlington? Tell you, Arlington is an amazing place. It really is. It's, uh, it's one of those places you kind of have to see. But Arlington National Cemetery uh, was a place that was set aside to bury uh, the uh, wounded, well, the, the dead, the wounded and dead of our, of our battles. And the first soldier was actually buried there in 1864. And by the end of that year, there were some 7,000 soldiers who were laid to rest there. The bodies of soldiers from previous wars were moved there. It has become literally the national burial ground. There are other places, but this is the major one there in Washington, D.C. And there are people buried there from the Revolutionary War all the way up to our most recent conflicts. Also, there are 400,000 or more servicemen and women buried there, in addition to several historical figures and, of course, uh, some presidents as well. But at Arlington, there's nothing more impressive when you go there than the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier kind of what it's known for uh, best. It's, it's amazing. It's, um, this tomb was established in 1921 uh, as to be the burial place for the uh, soldier from World War I that no one knew who it was um, and had not been identified. And then later on, uh, soldiers from World War II and the Korean War were buried there. And um, obviously, it, it probably, there will probably not be anyone else buried there because now with DNA, they're able to identify a soldier and, of course, let his family know and let them have the remains. But the, the tomb simply says, here rests in honored glory an American soldier known only to God. And there at the tomb, there is a round-the-clock guard. This is one of the most amazing human feats, I believe, that is consistent over time. And there are guards who do nothing but... Um, uh, stand in, in honor and attendance there at the tomb. And if you've seen it, the guard paces 21 steps down a black mat. They pause for 21 seconds. They pace 21 steps back and, and return. And it's done it's, and constantly. The guard changes uh, every hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, rain, snow, or shine. And uh, it is a, it's kind of a hallowed place if you've been there. Quiet, uh, silent, you can hear a pin drop, people stand and watch, uh, but nobody says a word. It is a place of honor and respect for those who have died so that we can enjoy this great nation. And if you haven't been there, uh, that ought to be on your bucket list at some point. But you know what? There are a few places like that, and there are a few people that we would give such honor and respect. But today, we're going to be talking about the one being that owes, that we owe more honor and respect to than anyone, including someone who has died for us in battle. 
In this series, we've been talking about what does it mean to grow in our walk with the Lord? And after we made that decision to follow Jesus, what comes next? And the first week we talked about some myths and deceptions like that it happens instantly or that it just happened automatically. And we know those things aren't true, that we have to invest in our spiritual growth. We talked about the importance of spending time with God. Uh, Zach did an awesome job talking about the need to be in the Word, how important to read God's Word. And then last week, we talked about the importance of being together with other believers, how community is so essential to our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. And today, we're going to be talking about the importance of worship in that process, because worship is a very important facet of our spiritual growth. Now, when you think about worship, you probably think about what we're doing right now probably think about a worship service where we come together at a certain time on Sunday morning and, and, uh, and we gather together and we do things like sing songs and have prayer and the message and everything. And that is the center of our focus. But worship is also anytime that we recognize the presence of God, when we give God what he deserves, which is all honor and respect and praise and devotion. That's worship of God. You know, the the fact is that we were made for worship. We were created for worship, and we are going to worship something or someone. And really, we're not truly complete until we have found that which we are willing to orient our lives around, and we can hold in awe and wonder and majesty. Now, I say it like that because there are people who literally worship other things, rather than God. They replace God with other things, and that's pretty obvious in our world. But true worship is really the center of our spiritual life. In fact, worship may be the most important thing that you can do to grow spiritually. It may do, not just the fact that you show up, but the fact that you are investing in your walk with the Lord, the fact that you're open to be taught, to be encouraged, to be instructed, to be around other believers with community, Uh, to to be in the Word, to be praying. Those are all things collectively that come as a result of our worship. So that's why worship is so important. Now, what does worship do for our life spiritually? Let me share some things it does. First of all, worship helps you order your life around God. Order your life around God. Without worship, we don't have anything to keep us focused on our spiritual life. I mean, the busyness of life, the rushing from one crisis to another, one interest to another, one fascination to another, you know, we're just all over the place. All those things can occupy all of our time and all of our energy and all of our thoughts. But if we have a regular time of commitment and focused worship, we can put God at the center of our life and we can come back to him on a consistent basis. That's important that we have something to anchor our life to and someone to anchor our life to. And that's why I, I as a, not as a minister, but as a Christian, why I feel so strongly about the weekly commitment to worship that we need to have. I will tell you that for the rest of my life, I will always have a, a commitment on my calendar for Sunday morning, always. It may not always be in this place if we go on vacation it's somewhere else or we're joining online or something because we can't be here, but there will always be a weekly commitment because it is a place to drive a stake in the ground and say, every Lord's Day, it's important to give the Lord honor and worship Him. That's why the commitment of Him is so important. Secondly, worship helps you encounter and experience God to really have an experience with God. True worship is life-giving and real. You know, I know a lot of people have been turned off to the church because they've experienced, uh, you know, kind of useless and, and lifeless ritual and symbols and practices. Last week, we talked about religion versus uh, real Christianity. But real worship engages God, and it helps us to truly experience who God is. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 
Where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Here is the amazing thing. If we gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus is here. He is in our midst, uh, among us, and we experience him. We know that God's with us all the time and understand that even when we're alone. But when the church community comes together, there is a sense of his presence in this place. And we can not only feel that, but we can experience that. We know that to be the Holy Spirit who moves among us and, uh, uh, and draws us closer to each other and to the Lord. Thirdly, worship helps you respond to God. It is a way to express that which we may be feeling. When you love somebody, it is natural to want to share that, express that love to them in some way, let your feelings be known. You want to tell them, you want to show them, you want to do something for them. And the same thing is true with God. While some people are more demonstrative than others in the way that they worship, obviously, we all need to express our love for God in ways that are tangible and ways that we can experience that. Our relationship with God is not just hearing from God, it's also responding back to God. Listen to John, uh, Psalm 71. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing to you with the lyre. Holy one of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. So this is worship when you express that, whether singing or playing an instrument he mentions there, shouting for joy, singing praise to God. Worship also helps us celebrate God. Not only experience God, but also celebrate God. To celebrate God means that you take time out of your life that is busy and clouded with everything else, and that you tell God what you think of him. Thank him for all that he has done and all that he is doing in our lives. It's kind of like having a party. You know, I always love it at Christmas time when the kids have a birthday party for Jesus. It's acknowledging who he is, that he was born. But also our worship should be a day to just celebrate who God is. Now, you know, most of our prayers, which is our conversation to God, most of them end up being petition. We're asking God for something. Maybe it's something we desire, or maybe it's something health or healing for somebody else, protection. But, but you know, we also need to focus on acknowledging who, Jesus, who God is and just praising Him and just thanking Him. Gratitude should come from our hearts. And, and I don't know about you, but when I get together and I hear the worship and I'm in, a, in a, an environment that just... I just sense that God is there. It is a time to celebrate who God really is. Everything that we have is from Him, and we need to acknowledge that on a regular basis. And then worship also helps you receive spiritual encouragement and energy. We talked about last week that we get challenge and support and encouragement from one another, and especially so when we come together. Hebrews chapter 10, in fact, says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Not only do we connect with God whenever we come together to worship, but we also connect with his family, the church. And there is no replacement at all for actually being in church unless it's impossible. You know, over the last couple of years, uh, online is, uh, has become a, a reality and a possibility. And there have been times and reasons that we ought to be there. But online will never be a replacement for being with God's people. Never, ever. You know, it doesn't just say, you know, check in uh, online. Uh, obviously, they didn't have online back then. But it does say, don't give up gathering together. 
And our gathering is an important part of our worship time together. So if you're online, I want to encourage you to get back physical worship as soon as possible. There's something missing in our souls if we don't have the one-on-one, face-to-face relationships with people, interaction with other believers. And I will tell you this, in my opinion, I, I see that COVID has wrecked havoc in a lot of areas of life, financially, uh, you know, uh, school, children, uh, we could just go on and on about that. But I believe that the greatest lasting and eternal damage will be that it has taken people out of, of church, out of worship, many of whom will fall away from their faith. Many people I know will be lost and lost people who will never find Christ in his church because it's declined and And we're reluctant to even invite people to church anymore, aren't we? See, the damage that it's done, and Satan has certainly used this uh, tragedy in a a horrible way. So worship is essential for our spiritual growth. It's important. It's a blessing. It's beneficial to us. But how do we worship? What is worship all about? Is worship simply attending a service? If you show up and check the box, you know, have you worshiped automatically? Unfortunately, a lot of people mistakenly believe that going through the actions of worship is actually worship. And I think the, the problem, a lot of us, in fact, who have maybe grown up in the church all of our life, we're kind of deceived into thinking that if we just are there and we're just doing it, then we're actually connecting with God. But here's what Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus is talking about worship here. And when it comes to worship, he says that there are two ways and two things that are important in our worship, spirit and truth. So let's take a moment and look at those and look at truth first of all. To worship God in truth means that we worship God as he really is, not who we think he is, not who the world tells us that God is and not in the way that the world thinks of him, but, but really as God explains himself to be. God is to be the object of our worship. You know, I said earlier that some people worship other things and maybe other people. People worship money, obviously. That is what they are focused on, infatuated with. Some people worship fame. Some worship a rock or a carved tree of some sort, but none of those things are going to impact our life. Those inanimate objects that we give ourselves to rather than them giving themselves to us. Only worship of the true God is going to make a difference in our life in the moment and also in the future. And you know, in the Bible is where we discover who this God is. To know the truth of God is in the Word of God, not a God that changes with culture not a God that changes with our opinions or our viewpoints or ideas. It's a God that we discover in the Word. And not only that, the only real worship is that of a real and true God. So worship is not something that's designed just for us to feel good about it. It's not emotional or experiential event, but it's a conscience, intelligent, and intentional act. We worship on purpose. And we worship whenever we think and reason about God and our relationship with God, and we see the true God of the Bible and the truth of his word. That's the God that we have to worship. And then also we worship in spirit. It's not just in our knowledge, but it's also in our being. To worship in spirit is to worship worship authentically within your heart, that your heart you are in. Your worship is sincere, you're genuine and real. Means your head is in it. You're not thinking about something else going on. Your heart is in it. You're giving yourself to God. And you are intentional and involved. You're not distracted or preoccupied. 
Now, worship, I think, is something that, that is very personal, right? And as we grow in our faith, we discover, you know, what, is, what kind of worship, what facet of worship, uh, you know, connects, do I connect to the boat, uh, most? And also, we know today that there are different styles of worship, right? And we're going to kind of gravitate toward a style of worship that's most meaningful to us. But to be honest, we ought to be able to worship in almost any style because the object of our worship is the same and worship is in our heart and mind. This past um, uh, Friday or Thursday, I believe it was, I went to a funeral and uh, they, they sang the old, old hymns that we, we grew up on, right? And we don't sing a lot of those anymore, but I'll tell you what, those songs were beautiful songs. That may not be my favorite style of, of worship, but they were beautiful. And we worshiped in a funeral, we worshiped God. And so it doesn't matter what the style is, we have one God that we worship. We may gravitate towards something that we like more, but obviously God is unchanging. And here's the other thing. We can sit in a service and not truly worship, not truly worship. We can be distracted. Our mind can be 100 miles away. We can be focused on other people and people watching and everything else in a service. We need to make sure that we're focused in our, in our spirit. You know, one of his sternest condemnations of the Pharisees, Jesus said this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Has there ever been a time when you were sitting in church and your heart really was far from God? Maybe you were struggling with something, some distraction. Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were thinking about something and your heart was truly far from God. You know, Jesus said, their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And we talked about the danger of legalism as well. So worship is something that we have to enter into intentionally in spirit and in truth. Now, what are some of the ways that we worship practically? Well, obviously, we just got through with that a few moments ago in music. Music is a great way to worship. In fact, uh, music is a way that we can, you know, have a, a, a Christian music on our our radio or playing around us and kind of be thinking about God. It's a great way to kind of keep your, your focus throughout your day. Uh, but music also is a way collectively and corporately they work, that we worship. And I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of our worship are, are, is centered around the Psalms. And there are 41 Psalms that encourage us to sing to God. And whenever we sing, we make the words to the songs our words. And they were directed toward God. So we make those toward God. I don't know if you noticed, but most of the songs that we sing are sung to God, not just about God which is an important, I think, kind of a transition over the years that we're singing to God and we're praising God, not just about who God might be, even though that's important to acknowledge, but we sing to God. But we use these Psalms to express how you feel toward God and what you want to say. You know, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, why do we buy uh, cards, Hallmark cards? Because they say just the right thing. We wish we could say it like that. They can't, so we buy it and we sign it, right? Well, the songs that we sing... Are, have been written, especially the Psalms, to our God, and, and I'm not that expressive sometimes. So it's great to have those songs and psalms so that we can sing to God. We also worship through our body, that we are to be engaged in worship. Listen to what it says in Psalms 28. I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Nehemiah chapter 8, the people all stood up. All the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, oh man, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe you identify, but I grew up in a very traditional church. And it was a great uh, place to learn about God, and I value that completely. But, but whenever we sang, we sat in the pews, 
And we never stood up and we never responded unless it might be a prayer hymn and we'd stand on the last verse or something like that. And honestly, there was very little personal involvement in worship. And, uh, you know, I kind of, and this is probably really wrong and shallow, but as a minister, I was like, you know, when I got ready to preach, I was like, well, let's just get, the, let's get this all out of the way so we can actually worship, so we can preach, you know. And, and that's probably shallow to see music like that, but there wasn't much personal involvement in worship. Today, uh, we ask everybody to stand if you are able to, worship, uh, stand in honor and respect to God, but also to be more involved in the worship. You know, we don't just sit there with our arms crossed. That we want to get up on our feet. We want to be involved. And, our, and our, our action shouldn't be done to bring attention to ourselves or anything. But when you worship, I, I want to encourage you to be engaged in the worship. You know, and that will help draw you closer to God. You may want to stand up. You may want to kneel. You may want to close your eyes. You may want to clap your hands. You may want to lift your hands in worship. All that's okay. All that's biblical, actually. And if we're not doing that, sometimes we can be very disengaged. Another way that we worship is in our giving, because our giving is an act of God. We bring the tithe as God has blessed us throughout the week, and that is that should be an expression, a, a tangible expression of our value of God and our acknowledgement of where it all came from. Prayer is another act of worship. And we come and we just, you know, we lift up our heart and we express what our heart is thinking, what our mind is thinking, or maybe our needs, our praise, our worship, our adoration. Reading scripture uh, is definitely, uh, you know, worship, speaking a message, sharing an impact moment, watching a video of mission work, or focusing on God's work in some ways. There are a lot of different ways to worship. And there, uh, and, and every person's going to find special meaning and significance uh, in certain ways. And while there are a lot of things that remind us of God's power and creativity, like nature, it's, it's a mistake to try to say, oh, I worship God in nature. You know, I worship God out here and do that. We, we appreciate God, but none of those things can replace corporate worship and should never, ever be thought that way, that it's as equal to being together with God's people, focused intentionally on worshiping Him. Now, now there are a couple acts of worship that I've left out so far that I want to kind of give a little special attention to. Uh, one of these acts is a solitary one-time event in most of our lives, and the other is ongoing. And the first of those, that, those events, the, the, the one-time event, is baptism. And baptism is a, an act of worship. And maybe you don't think of it that way, but it's an act of worship, and it's a command for all believers. It's a, uh, uh, it's a, Jesus set the example for us. In fact, when he was here upon the earth, even though he had no sins, he set the example uh, to uh, fulfill all righteousness. And then he commanded his followers to be baptized and to baptize others. We, we call this a great commission in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said a big part of bringing people into a relationship with Jesus is teaching them, but then baptizing them and then teaching them uh, all the things that we find in God's word. Let me give you a working definition of baptism that I, I like, and I think I feel like it's pretty complete, but it's pretty descriptive, is this. Baptism is the immersion of a repentant believer into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. Let me run through that again. Baptism is the immersion of a repentant believer into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this tells us a lot about baptism. First of all, it tells us the method of baptism, the way we're baptized, and that is immersion. 
And it's not just that we believe that. The word baptize actually means to dip, plunge under, or immerse. It means to go under the water and come back up. That's what it means. And that's pretty clear in the Bible. And any other method uh, really is not what the Bible defines as baptism. It doesn't fulfill the meaning of the word. First and foremost, baptism illustrates Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and how that has been applied symbolically into our own lives when we give our life to Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 says, when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, and in baptism, you were also raised with Christ. And so immersion just uh, depicts that burial and then that resurrection with Christ. It illustrates us dying to ourselves, buried in the water, and then starting a new life. Romans chapter 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Our definition also tells us who is to be baptized, and that is a repentant believer. That is someone who consciously decides to be baptized based on their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's not a decision that's made by our parents or somebody else for us. It is something that we consciously decide to submit to and to agree to. It also tells us that who is to be baptized as well, uh, anyone who comes into Jesus Christ and who we are baptized in, Jesus Christ, not into a local church. We don't baptize people in the Journey Church. We are part of the body of Christ. People are baptized into Jesus here. And it also tells us why we are baptized. We are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's found in Acts chapter 2. Paul, uh, Paul, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I think the definition is pretty complete. It kind of gives us all the reasons for that, and, and that's so important. Now, I don't know about you, but you probably read a story this week. Several of you have talked to me about this, a story of a, a priest who resigned in shame because he had been improperly baptizing people for 20 years. And uh, the story kind of carried that. It caught my attention anyway. And he had been saying, we baptize you instead of I baptize you. And if you read that story, it said the Catholic Church views the people he baptized as unbaptized. And that really is unfortunate that, that it's thrown such a cloud in that, because to be honest with you, um, it's not the formula that's used that's important. We say different things. There's kind of a formula that I use or a statement I use, but that's not the most important thing what you say. Uh, the fact that they were not truly immersed, as the Bible teaches, I think is probably more important than than the miswording there. But what really is important is what's in the heart of the person being baptized. What's in their heart, not the words that are said. Baptism is important. Baptism is essential. And, um, you know, there's no example of a Christ follower after the death of Jesus and resurrection who was not baptized. In every case in the book of Acts, when someone gave their life to Christ, they were baptized immediately. So everybody who wants to be a follower of Christ must be baptized. It's not about waiting until you get good enough, until you reach a certain point in your life where you have your act together. You don't get baptized because you've reached a certain spiritual level. You get baptized because you've committed to a relationship with Christ. And baptism is how you seal that. Baptism is how your sins are removed, your, the Holy Spirit is given, and you publicly announce that you're a follower of Jesus. So let me just say this, that if you have not been baptized, or maybe if an earlier act 
did not truly represent a, a, um, a true declaration of your faith, then you should pursue baptism as a believer. And let me just say, I, we are prepared to do that today. You know, I, I love the fact that the waters are always ready uh, and we're always prepared. The water is warm. We have everything you need to be baptized today. And in the Bible, you know, when someone knew and was aware that they needed to be baptized, they were baptized immediately that same hour. So we're ready to do that. We want to be biblical about it. We are ready. And in fact, I'm going to be down front here uh, shortly uh, after the message available. Tony will be over on this side, and we would love to talk to you about your next step, and we can turn it around and, and baptize you today if that is something you know that you need to do. So I encourage you to think about that. Let God minister to you about that. The second act of worship that I wanted to kind of focus on is an act that we do every Sunday, and that is the Lord's Supper or what we call communion. And here at Journey Church, we take communion every Sunday. Uh, we do that because that seemed to be the New Testament church pattern, and we, we believe that it is central to our worship and we also believe that once a week is not too often to recognize that. So that, that's kind of why we do it every week. I know every church doesn't do that, uh, but that seemed to be implied in the Bible. Communion was directly instituted by Jesus. We always kind of remind you that the night before his arrest uh, and, and then ultimate death, Jesus called his disciples together to celebrate a, a, a Jewish feast, the feast of the Passover, that went all the way back into the Old Testament, the time that they were in Egypt. And the death angel passed over those who had the blood applied to their doorpost. And, and it kind of, he made that, uh, gave it a new purpose and meaning. And that was for believers who have the blood of Jesus on their life, on their doorpost, um, that they will be passed over by death and they will have eternal life. And so Jesus gave uh, the bread and the wine that were used in the meal, had been used in the Passover meal, gave them new meaning and purpose. And he told, told his disciples to do this until he comes again. And so that's why we do it every Lord's Day. The bread would be taken to remember Jesus' body that would be given as a sacrifice. And the cup would be given and taken to remember Jesus' blood, which would be poured out for our sins. And the words of Jesus are in Matthew 26. When they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when they had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's house. So that's why we do it every Lord's Day. And taking communion should never become just an act, but instead, it should be something that we look forward to, an important and vibrant time of remembrance and celebration. And it really is the high point of our service. And uh, if we did nothing else, if we didn't sing or preach or pray or anything else, we should come together to take communion. You know, I thought it was interesting that um, I was talking to someone the other day who, uh, who told me that the European countries and those European countries, they oftentimes take all the communion from one cup. You know, the, they pass that cup around. Maybe you've been in a service one time where they take one cup and pass it around. And for us today, we're like, oh my goodness, we'd never do that, you know, especially with COVID and everything. But I'm told that they had such faith that God was going to protect them that they just kept one cupping, you know, everybody, and they, they wipe it off a little bit. But they had faith that God was going to take care of them, and especially in that act of communion. I thought that was interesting. But worship is so essential to our spiritual growth. And worship needs to be a personal thing. 
You know, I, I, I hear today, and you know, churches um, and preachers, oh, we, go, we go through fads like everybody else, but, but you know, the fad is online church. Everything's online church. And, um, you know, I think that's a fad, honestly. I think it's useful and helpful, but it will never, ever replace or equal the importance of coming together to worship. And, and you know, I think it's interesting that while people refuse to gather to worship, and not just about COVID, this has preceded COVID, but while in America people minimize the importance of that, in other parts of the world, there are believers who gather every Lord's Day knowing that if they are caught, they will, the church could be bombed or they could be executed because of that. They make it such a priority. They would never miss, even though they're commanded not to. And they don't spend an hour. They spend usually all day or several hours in worship. They don't rush out to do something else. You know, I think we need to value what we have. And we also should uh, remember and pray for the persecuted church that worships in spite of, uh, of being told not to. And we should emulate them. But in the last year, there have been over 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians who have been killed for their faith in the last year, 4,488 Christian churches and other institutions, buildings that were attacked, 4,277 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And yet, they still gather to worship because they know that worship is their lifeline with the Father. And all of that, while church attendance in America where we have freedom and comfort and opportunity that declines. And that should make us pause and think and, and emulate and, and, and admire the commitment and the knowledge, maybe what they know. We would use these things as an excuse, which people are always looking for excuse, but we would say, well, I can be a private Christian. I don't have to go to church. You know, I, I don't want to get in trouble. But that becomes so important because they know the significance of worship together. Guys, we need worship. It is essential to our spiritual growth. And so we ought to embrace that. We ought to embrace our freedom and our opportunity and, and the, the, the invitation that God gives to us to come and see Him and worship Him. And when we come to worship, we need to make sure that we're into it, in truth and in spirit, so that God can speak to us. Now, I don't know about you, but this challenges me. I've been a Christian for a long time, 50 years maybe something like that. But I always need to be reminded of what does it take to keep walking the walk and, and not just talking the talk. So I want to encourage you in this. After we believe, we cross the line of faith, there are things that we must do intentionally, not to save ourselves, not works to save ourselves, but as a result of our relationship with the Lord and to invest in our spiritual life and strengthening and growing. And I want to encourage you and challenge you think about your next step. You know, earlier I said that we were going to provide a time for baptism, and I'm going to be down front. Tony will be down here. If you want to do that, we encourage you to come. Maybe you just need to pray. You know, the Bible says that God's house will be a house of prayer. We want to open this up for prayer, for lost people, for the persecuted church, whoever it may be, and bring those, lift those prayers up to God. Prayer is a part of our worship as well. So guys, would you bow with me as we wrap up? Lord, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for worship. How creative you are in a million ways, but, but in this concept of worship, how many ways there are for us to see you and know you and experience you. So Lord, this morning we come in worship 
and honor and praise, just to lift up your name above every name, to say that you're worth more than anything we have and certainly worth some, some of our time to come together, to do all these things collectively, to sense your spirit, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to go out and take, the, the, the li- take life as it comes to us. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are beginning their walk with you, or Father, those who have, are walking after many years for encouragement, for hope, for endurance, Lord, faithfulness to the end. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.